Broadcasting across the galaxy, you're listening to Radio Dakar, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to the animated series Star Wars Resistance. Alright, hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Radio Dakar. I'm your host, Doug Brooks, and today we are reviewing Star Wars Resistance Episode 11, Bebo. And this was an interesting episode. When, when I saw the preview, uh, or uh, read the synopsis, I thought, well, not that there's a filler episode of any sort, but it might just be um, like a light-hearted uh, transition episode to get us to what we expect uh, will be first order heavy action, and what we saw in the mid-season trailer. But no, this turned out to be a very complex episode that got better and better each time I watched it. And it turned out to, it's so far it's one of my favorite episodes of the season. Uh, there's a lot to take in, and I'll get to it. I think there's a lot of foreshadowing in this episode as far as what we'll see the rest of the season leading up to the season finale. And it makes me feel good that I can say season finale, because as I talked about in the emergency broadcast, uh, they did confirm season two, so we have at least another year and a half of adventures with Team Fireball and the Aces. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. Um, on this uh, review, I'll, I'll be referencing a lot of the things I talked about in the emergency broadcast when I reviewed the mid-season trailer, and in the mid-season review episode that I did with Jonah Marie Macias. Uh, so if you if you miss those, uh, they're on the Radio Dakar channel on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, you can catch up on those, and uh, it helps fill you in on where we are right now with Resistance. So jumping right into the episode, uh, what's real cool in that first scene, if you hear that bouncing, I've got my audience with me. He's in his little horse just hanging out right now. Uh, that first scene with Sonara bringing up the salvage and offering parts to Kaz is it's a Clone Wars era Z-95 fighter, which Kaz mentions was in Reaper Squadron. And so, and this goes back to, I can't remember what episode it was. It was, oh, it was uh, probably Sonara's score. And I think Joan Marie mentioned this in one of her Culture S articles about what is the history of Castellan as far as the, um, what was it the site of a major battle? Well, as it turns out, they're, they're giving clues that there was a site of a Clone Wars battle. Which is really intriguing to me because, as they've established, Castellan is very way out there on the fringes of uh, the, well, the current Republic. Um, so it would be far away from the old Republic and the, and the Confederacy. So it's interesting that they would there, there would be a battle uh, this far out on this water planet. What were they wanting at the time? And consequently, why did the Empire build the station there? So they're they're doing a good job giving a lot of hidden history to this facility and to this planet. Um, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to explore it. Maybe that's for some background book. Um, but they're you know they're they're letting you know that it has an, imp an important part to play, and maybe that's why the First Order is so interested in it. So lots of little drops right at the beginning with a Z95 and specifically referencing the Clone War. And I wonder if Reaper Squadron will come back into play. I talked about on the mid-season review if we get 
like a next season or maybe in episode nine, you know, do the pilots from this planet form a squadron for the resistance? Maybe they adopt Reaper squadron. Um, it's possible. But then we move on to the crux of the episode, which is uh, there was a like tadpole creature on the wreckage, uh, which Nico adopts and names Bebo. This cute little disgusting, smelly creature. But, you know, Niku took a, an immediate liking to him. Of course, it causes lots of hijinks uh, throughout with <clears throat> eating everything, which I'll get back to that in a minute. Um, that he can eat metal and fuel and all that. But just causing general havoc around the garage to the point where Yeager has to cite rule number seven of Yeager's garage, no pets. Now I really want to know what the rest of the list is. So maybe maybe they'll fill that in one day. It was kind of like, if you ever watched uh, My Name is Earl, where he had the list of all the bad things he had done in his life, and uh, he was trying to um, make up for them one at a time. So he had the list, and I think there were over 200 items on there. That was a that was a great show, by the way. Uh, really funny. It's, man, it's been about 15 years. Anyway, uh, then while Bebo is causing havoc, they point out that uh, the parts from the Xena 95 were corroded from being in the water. So Kaz goes back to Sonara to see if she has anything else. <clears throat> of course, uh, of course uh, Sonara is in the middle of a transmission with Craig and Gore, and he mentions that she missed her last report, and she says it's because she was spying. I, it makes me wonder is what was the other reason because um, I think and I'll get to it later in the review but I think there's more to Sonara than we're seeing uh, she's turning out to be a really great character and I'm glad I got to talk to Jonah Marie about her because I hadn't given her as much thought as she, as she had and we had a great conversation about that but uh, I'll get to that at a specific moment later in the episode so Sonara is still spying, and then she's given the information that the pilots who rescued rescued her were resistance, even though she couldn't positively identify them. So suspicion abounds with everybody. All the pieces are moving with these spies getting found out and such. And I'll just take the moment now to talk about how great Josh Brenner was as Niku in this episode. Uh, going back to the recruit, the first episode, I talked about I liked Niku, but especially with what happened in the first episode, I was worried about him becoming a one-note character where him taking things literally and having misunderstandings would cause most of the problems in future episodes. And well, fortunately, it's it's not become that. And and Niku, he's become a very good character. And this episode was Josh's chance to shine with different emotions for Niku, with how much he loved Bebo and you know, the heartache of possibly having to give him away, standing up to Yeager, uh, the sacrifice he made at the end. There was just a lot for him to do in this episode, and I, I was just really impressed. Uh, Niku has really grown on me as a character throughout the season. And this, this was his, um, I guess, centerpiece episode. I think, I think Niku's got a greater purpose. I mean, this is total speculation on my part, but I wonder if either 
at the at the end of this season or maybe next season or the, even when the series series ends here you go does Niku I, I, I'm let me back up I imagine that there will be a point where Kaz and Tora maybe hype Griff a, a group of pilots go off to fight for the resistance and then that's the point when the show will f- take the focus off Castellan, much like Rebels finally made that transition with um, getting off Lothal for a while, but eventually coming back. I think, well, for one thing, I think Captain Doza will not survive the series. Um, because I think that adds dramatic weight if he is killed in some sort. And Well, don't drop your bottle, sir, and you can have it. Um... <laughs> That he will be killed, you know, for control of the station or whatever. So I think, total guess, that Niku will be left in charge of the Colossus as kind of the caretaker. You know, because he's friends with the Cheladai and would trust them to run engineering. And, I mean, he he's happy there. And he likes what, he, what he's doing as a purpose. So I think that's his destiny, is to stay there, uh, with the, you know, for the greater good, to keep the station running. So... I don't know what what point, but I, I can totally see him becoming the caretaker of the Colossus and just living a happy life. You know, he I don't see him going off to fight, but maybe I might be wrong. Who knows? So we get that's that's my talk about Niku for the episode. Just great job, Josh Burner. So then, um, Sonara takes Kaz out on one of her salvaging expeditions. And then we get that, that beautiful overhead shot where the skiff is going across the water and then what we find out are speed goals. And I mentioned it uh, when I reviewed the shorts uh, back on the mid-season review when uh, Buggles was chasing after one. <clears throat> I called them seagull-like characters. Turns out they called them speagles. Uh, they're four-eyed seagulls, basically, native to Castellan. And it, to see them flying over. But then on Bucket's list on StarWars.com, when they were, for one of the bullet points where they were talking about the design of the native species to the planet, they used the headline, Spiegel's Stop It Now. Now, if you have not seen bad lip reading for the Seagulls song, uh, please stop the podcast right now. Go to YouTube. Look up Seagulls Stop It Now. It, it is, it's just a great song. It's funny. My 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 son loves it. He, he'll make me play it in the car because it's on Amazon Prime Music. Um, it, that that whoever wrote that for StarWars.com that they were so self-aware and meta at that moment. That that, that just cracked me up. It might just be me, but I loved that they addressed that. So now, you know, I imagine, you know, like this, I would love to see in episode nine, there's a scene on Castellan and all the ghost Jedi are there and then Yoda, you know, manifests himself and then the Spiegel lands on his head or something. Now on a slightly more serious note, uh, we see, um, you know, so Sonara's out there with Kaz on her skiff and with the searchlights and everything and the way the skiff is designed, I don't know why, but my thought went to, this looks like, like something you'd see in Louisiana, like taking a boat out on the bayou to search for gators or something. And I started cracking up. I was like, oh man, 
and then later on, when even though we've seen gorgs and we know that people eat them, to see Niku actually eat a live creature, I thought, well, that's something they do in Louisiana too, with you know a lot of live things go into the pot and then you eat it fresh. Jeff Foxworthy does a whole bit about that if you listen to his, his comedy. And so I, I've just arrived at this thought that Castellon is the Louisiana of this galaxy. Where it's just kind of uh, people are on their own wavelength and they kind of do their own thing. Um, you know, just going out on boats and eating live creatures. So that, that kind of that made me giggle. Um, anyway, uh, so then, you know, Sonara is start, starting to confront Kaz about who he really is because she's, you know, suspects he's more than meets the eye. And I don't know if Kaz does or not with her. I, I think he's got, I think he's sweet on her. You know, I, I think he likes her, but I don't know if, you know, um, if he suspects her of anything. Um, but, that, of course, that's interrupted when we get the great overhead shot as well of the skiff is over what turns out to be Bebo's mom, and it's just a huge black shadow in the water. Uh, just beautiful you know, look to that. Um, and, of course, they have to get back to this uh, platform and warn everybody because that's where it's heading. As, as, as we know, it's to find, find their, her baby. But then we get uh, some great interaction with Tam and Niku, because, you know, Yeager has, you know, stood up to Niku about Bebo, and, uh, you know, Niku pretty much quit. But, you know, Tam was very sympathetic to be, uh, to Niku, and it was just some great interactions between Josh Brenner and Susie McGrath. And, you know, even though I have thoughts about Tam. Uh, she's becoming an even more interesting character. And, I mean, and she, even if she may be the spy, she's, I mean, she cares about Yeager and Niku. I mean, she's worked with him for a few years at this point, I imagine. So, uh, that, that was just neat to see. Uh, any, any time they were together in this episode was really good. Uh, so, as... Bebo's mom gets closer. Uh, we see just an amazing shot of uh, the first time we see a tentacle coming out of the water and coming down and striking the water and then barely missing the skiff. The animation on that is is great. Especially with 2D animation, I, I don't know how difficult it is to simulate the water you know, being shook violently by a sea creature and then all the tentacles and the body. I mean, especially in, in the battle with the aces later on, everything just looked beautiful and amazing, and they gave uh, those um, that species that nice green-blue look, uh, so the colors are really rich, contrast against the blue of the water, I mean, just visually striking. And But then we go to, and down to engineering, and we get to see the Cheladai again. Now, we had seen them in the trailer uh, for the rest of the season. We know they would show, they'll would they show up later. But it's great to see them again. I'll repeat it. They are my, one of my favorite new species on Star Wars. Uh, it just feels like something out of Dark Crystal. I mean, I, I can imagine if they're ever in a live-action movie that 
they would use like Jim Henson style puppetry to pull that off. They're beautiful, I love their sounds and their language. And the fact that Frank Welker does it, um, everything's just outstanding about them. And then we also see uh, Kel and Ayla, the children of Tahar. You know, didn't think we'd see them so soon. Um, and they, they meet Tam, which I don't know if it really clicked with her, but that means that Tam knows that, uh, that they're there. Um, now, if she is truly the First Order spy, which I believe she to be, that's information that I think will be exploited if she's in communication with the First Order regularly. Maybe that prompts... Um, well, I mean, other than it being their plan anyway, maybe that prompts an increased presence or more dramatic action that they need to get to these kids. And the fact they're they're back for a second time, we know they're going to be back for a third time, they have a big part to play in this season, and I'm sure we'll find that out. Now, what I missed on the first watch, and of course, Jonah Marie noticed and wrote about it for Culturist and um, posted an article about it, can't remember if I retweeted it, but I'll, I'll do that after this episode. When Ayla mentions her dreams and Kel, you know, talks about them coming true if she has them more than once, my first thought was, oh, maybe that's just a trait of people from Tahar that that's, you know, kind of like, um, uh, you know, Native Americans and having um, dreams, something like that. So it didn't, I thought it was more of a, species or cultural thing but then Jonah Marie points out what if that means that Ayla is force sensitive and is having force dreams and of course that opens up an entire new you know, reason for her being hunted and, and such um, you know I also wonder you know will she have a part to play when Ray inevitably creates the new generation of Jedi. Um, you know, will she be inspired by the legend of Luke Skywalker the way that Tamiri was at the end of The Last Jedi? Um, man, this, uh, yeah, even though I didn't think of it at first, uh, as Jonah Marie mentions, this opens up a lot of potential with this character and maybe her entire people. Maybe they're a race of Force-sensitive people. Or the ones that are left after what the First Order did. Which leads me to think that those ruins that Kaz and Poe visited in the trailer, that maybe that is Tahar, but we'll have to see on that. Um, so yeah, just the few things that are said down there in engineering uh, opens up a lot of possibilities about Tam knowing about the kids and well, what their abilities are. And um, once Kaz and Sonara get to back to the Colossus, they're trying to warn everybody, but they don't seem to care. Um, and then Kaz mentions the pirate alarm, which Sonara replies, good to know. I'm sure that will come into play later uh, if she disables it. Um, I, I mean, we've seen from the trailer, there's another pirate attack to come. So uh, when that happens, maybe they don't have the benefit of the alarm, and that's why the... You know, station takes a major hit, and the aces are bested, and Doza, 
you know, fully gives into the First Order. So definitely some foreshadowing there. And then I love it that the security droids are accusing Kaz of inciting panic. He said, yes, everyone needs to panic right now. Um, and if you notice that, that one green alien with the blue or with the red um, flight suit, he points at the other patron and says, go, let's get out of here. I, I'm, I, if I read Bucket's List right, he doesn't have a mouth, so he can't speak anyway. So that was funny gesturing if you're paying attention. And I do like that when uh, they do start to lock down the station that it's the classic Imperial klaxons uh, that, that are the sound effect, like on the Death Star. Where, where'd your bottle go? Yeah. Um, yeah, just, I mean, it's a nice callback that, yes, it's an Imperial station. And I love that sound. Um, you know, like when they used it in the Rogue One trailer. It, 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 like the TIE Fighter sound, it just elicits that thought. Uh, let's see. Sorry, in between checking my notes and keep keeping somebody happy. I know. Well, you're doing a good job, buddy. I appreciate it. Um, and okay, so the Aces go out to fight uh, Bebo's mom. Any time they do a launch sequence on the show, I love it because they build it up so well. Whether it's for a battle or for a race just to see all the ships lowering, all, all the pilots getting in position, and, and the music, uh, Michael Tavera, uh, that, that's where he shines, is getting that upbeat hype, hype music for them to launch, whether it's to race or to fight. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my... Um, I don't know. It, it's just a thing that excites me every time because it's so awesome. Now, I will point out, because... Um, uh, as as I've shown on Twitter, um, I've, at this point I've actually managed to get all the first, uh, Wave One Resistance figures. Uh, it took hunting at different stores, and uh, I think the official release date was January 15th, so that's already passed. But I managed to get all the figures, and uh, my son's been enjoying play with, playing with them. Uh, he likes Tora and Kaz playing together, and so when the pilots are uh, getting to their uh, ships, getting on their helmets, uh, he started chanting, Tora, Tora, Tora. Yeah, he, he, he likes Tora a lot now. Uh, so he, he was excited to see her flying. Um, now, so Sonara, you know, she's, uh, you know, helping get the door shut and trying to help people. And, and this is where I, I think, I think that, you know, the character is becoming pretty complex, and it's it, like, like I say, please go back and listen to what Jonah Marie and I had to talk about Sonara. She listed her as her favorite character on the show, and I, you know, I agree with a lot of her points, especially after this episode, because Sonara is becoming a very complex character. You thought, I mean, even though it didn't seem to be planned, I mean, she wound up on the station in this prime position to spy for the pirates and help set up attacks. But there's definitely more to her. I mean, she genuinely cared about everyone's safety in this episode. You know, it wasn't just putting on a facade. I mean, she could have, you know, helped. You know, she could have not, you know, gotten the the doors shut and all that. And you know, the more, the more I would imagine, the more damage the Colossus takes, that that's a 
you know, it's a better case for, you know, the pirates have a better chance to attack. She didn't have to do that, but she did. Um, and then, you know, I go back, what was she doing where she missed her last check-in? Was she doing something good and benevolent? So I, I wonder, you know, as we get towards the end of the season and she's still on the station, does she realize, you know, what side she needs to be on and join with Kaz and the others? Or maybe she makes a sacrifice that helps them out. Um, there, yeah, there, she's got a part to play, too. I mean, it, it may be a sacrifice, but she there's, there is good in her. And I like that uh, she's becoming this complex of a character. And then we finally get to see Kaz fly a mission. You know, alongside the aces in battle. And it was a great scene where Eager, you know, had the fireball ready to go for Kaz to go out there. Uh, that gave me chills. That was really cool. And, and you know, just different ways he's helping uh, in communication with uh, Hype and that really cool maneuver where he Griff's about to crash and, like, Kaz puts his wing up under Griff so he can coast to the um, to the water and not crash because he would have hit the station otherwise. Um, yeah, that was just really awesome. And then, I mean, I, I don't think it's insignificant that when Kaz is flying past the tower, you see Doza really studying him. Because he already knows, you know, he's the one who raised his daughter. And, um, so, yeah, that was important. I think, you know, what's, you know, uh, Doza's going to remember that. And, you know, he might use Kaz for a purpose later on. So, yeah, Kaz really proved himself with his flying in this episode. Now, we'll point out, you know, as, you know, everybody's panicking at this point on the station. And, um, Tam is kind of encouraging Niku, you know, she thinks that the thing came for food and that Niku should give up Bebo to the creature. You know, you see the other, some of the other people there, you know, saying the same thing. And one of them is Jace Rucklin, you know, who is Elijah Wood's character. And so this is the third time we've seen him, but it was for one line and he was literally a background character. Um, so kudos to Elijah Wood, you know, who's a big time actor, Lord of the Rings and all that. Um, but just to, uh, you know, and I don't know how they record these. Maybe when he was in his last appearance, they're like, Hey, we're going to do a, we're going to have Jace show up in a couple episodes. Just do this one line. I mean, it's quite possible they did that. Um, but, you know, you know, they're saying, hey, we've got these people doing these voices, and they can show up at any time, uh, regardless of how big they are. So so that, that was really cool. It's almost nap time, but we're almost done, buddy. Um, so, yeah, it's just neat to see him back. And he, I'm sure we'll see him again. Uh, I wrote Ace's Battle was cool. I mean, I've, I've been talking about that. Uh, the visuals with uh, the tentacles and the creature and them having to fly through all that and at first using cannons and getting authorization to use missiles. A lot of depth to that battle. Um, especially when it's a stationary target, whereas the pirate attacks, you know, before have been, you know, they can fly all over the station and um, different maneuvers and all that. Yeah, um... Yeah, actually, they, you know, for what we've seen of the aces, yeah, they have been able to show them they're fighting off other, you know, 
so far they fought off the pirates, another group. They fought off a creature. They've raced each other. You know, they're probably going to fight the First Order. So even, even though we haven't gotten to know the pilots themselves that personally, yeah, we've seen a lot of what they can do. So that's really cool. You know, I cannot complain about that. So then they figure out that, you know, Niku figures out that um, Bebo is the baby of this creature, and he gives him back to her so that everybody can survive. Um, and then they, you know, they go back to the water. Now, uh, this is not the end of it. I think Bebo and her mom will be back. Much like, uh, you know, not to spoil Rebels if you haven't seen it, but I hope you've seen Rebels. The Perkles. What everybody thought was the ultimate throwaway episode turned out to be a major factor in the series finale. Which I loved. I thought that was you know, it's one of the great shocking scenes in Star Wars. I don't, I don't think it'll be exactly like that, but my prediction is... When the First Order still has control or the advantage at the station in the season finale, Bebo and her mom will, sh or maybe Bebo's grown by then, but one of them will show up, or both, and fight off the First Order and help Kaz and his re version of the Resistance fully liberate the station. That's your conclusion to the season, I think. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's important that Tam mentioned they eat metal, they eat tools, they eat fuel. That means that they can literally eat First Order fighters. Uh, you know, that, that would be an impressive shot if we get Bebo's mom eating a TIE fighter. But it's established that they can do that. Oh, I know, I know. Um, so that's, I think, I think that's coming. I hope so, because... Uh, just, you know, what the, the emotion of Niku having to say goodbye. I, I can imagine the joy he'll feel when he sees them come back to help them. <clears throat> so I fully expect that. But uh, that they, and, and the difference being, uh, you know, on Rebels, it was because they were called to help. I think on Resistance, it's going to be because they chose to help. So anyway. Uh, prediction there. I love the shot of once uh, Niku has given Bebo back. Um, you know, Tam's got her arm on his shoulder, and then Bucket and Yeager come up, and then Kaz flies over with the fireball. I mean, there's your signature shot of Team Fireball in action and doing what they do best. Uh, it was just a beautiful way to to end it before the you know funny ending with um, Niku and the Gorg. Like I said, it's Louisiana. They eat light food. Um, that's it. Uh, Paul Giacopo wrote this episode. Uh, he, I think he did an outstanding job. Like I say, I watched it. I wound up watching it four times between watching it with the boys and to make notes. It got better and better each time. Just so much depth. Like I say, a lot of foreshadowing, I think. We're going to see the creatures later. Um... The, the children of Tahar have a great part to play. I think Tim knowing about them is important. Sonara, 
seeming to have a good heart is going to come into play later. Now, uh, interesting little factoid. If you if you remember the original trailer that we got before the season, you know, we got that memorable shot of uh, what turned out to be Freya's um, racer flying through the tentacles. And we thought, oh, wow, they're finding, you know, it's another thing with tentacles because that's what, dis- you know, they do in Star Wars. Um, so, but then... And also that one shot of Sonara and Kaz uh, looking up at what turned out to be the tentacle. So, you know, when I went back and thought about it, those were the only shots in the trailer we had not seen at the mid-season break. So it just made me wonder, you know, oh, that must have been in their first production batch, and it was, you know, uh, put together quite early, and then they did the second half uh, of the season. But, you know, they wound up... I, I think... Story-wise, it was best to end the to do the break at, at Station Theta Black because you know it's about what the First Order is going to do, and to have that kind of cliffhanger with, okay, they got this information now. What are we going to do with it? And then you know to start start off the second half with, um, you know, uh, just you know very much a station-based episode, and and then set up the rest of the season with all the foreshadowing. Um, so, oh, I messaged, um, Brandon Allman, the executive producer, um, oh, here, take your bottle, and, um, I, I congratulated him on season two, and I just asked him if Bebo was originally ever the mid-season finale, he said, yeah, we thought about it, and, um, I said, well, you, you know, you could tell because of the, that the scenes were in the trailer, but, I, I mean, creatively, I think they made the best decision to move this to the second half, because, um, you know, you would have had all this to chew on uh, without a lot of as much context because we saw the trailer for the rest of the season, then we saw this episode, so we know where it's leading. So it, it has me even more excited because I know, you know, well, we know the First Order is going to have a major presence and there's going to be some big time battles. So, yeah, just great episode. Uh, it really sets up the rest of the season well. I'm excited there's a season two at least. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week with a new episode review. Now, clearly, um, if you are following all the episodes, I did not get to the Poe comic review. I'm just going to do that after the season when we have that break before season two, especially since there is going to be a season two. So that will be covered at some point. Still got to do the Lego Star Wars uh, season review with my co-host. I mean, you might be in it too. I'm going to make you watch it again, buddy. Yeah. But that's it. He needs a nap. Um, and I'll, Yeah, great episode. Looking forward to next week. Looking forward to the season. Um, everybody, happy hunting with action figures if you're going to go do that. Until next time, may the Force be with you.